0: tan Talk, entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State
2: I'm looking for a good, solid body for my Hemi, you know? Something I can shoehorn in and run. Are you going to build? Go fast? If I'm going to rebuild, I might as well go fast. Can't dance. All right.
0: All right. Hi. It's good to see someone drive one of these in here.
2: Most of them have to be towed. I'm looking for a chassis which I want to stick a big Hemi engine in. You got anything? Cheap.
0: Cheap. Cheap. Going racing? Yeah. Pre-war willies rise up like a cutter through ice. Oh, it'd be a miracle just to see one again. Want to see one? Oh, you see one every now and then sitting in an old garage in Rollo, Missouri or by the side of road in West Lafayette. Or hidden in a junkyard in Lyons, California. Come here. Come on, come on. It moved. Huh? Uh, uh. <laughs> but you ain't gonna sell it, right? Sonny Munn offered me a thousand once. I'm gonna race him? Everybody kinda lost interest in these old hot rods. How about your old Dodge body? You have enough left to bail? Sure, I'd like to see it run again. Especially against Munn. Let's talk. If you beat the Munns, it's yours. Free. Just like the old Hot rods I've seen the pictures.
2: Yeah, every kid used to have one.
0: I'm gonna build a car, too. Just like yours.
2: Yeah. It's looking good, Lefty. What kind of engine you running?
0: <laughs> Rubber band, I guess. <laughs> it's
2: my first engine, too. Don't wind it too tight. Won't start. you
1: host of Car Crazy Television, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Running your computers in Google, Talk 1340.com. And you can see me live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, golfstreammotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you miss any of our f- uh, 695, I think 95, shows... You can find them all there on our archive page.
2: And we're closing in on seven hundred coming up this year, aren't we?
1: We are, because we're closing in on the end of we where we will have completed. Where we will have completed fourteen years. So we started May thirteenth, nineteen no, two thousand ten. Holy shnikes. Schnikes! Schnikes! Anyway, so we're looking forward to that. We've got some. Uh, you know what? We might just do an open show. On that day, I've decided exactly what I'm going to do for an anniversary show. Usually, I have something pretty cool, somebody pretty cool coming on. Um, but anyway, so we got a great show for you tonight. Hi, Matt. How you doing? I'm doing good. Besides, you don't need
2: to have somebody else pretty cool jump on the show. You take care of that. all by yourself.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the compliment. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. All right. So we got a little storm going on out there, but uh, now it's nice and dry. When I was on my way down here, I was being blown all over the road. I do drive a little van, uh, Ford Transit Connect, and it's been a great little van. You know, it's been perfect. It's given me no issues. I bought it with 50,000, thousand miles. thought I was going to sell it. And then it just kind of came in handy, you know. Now it's got 203,000 miles on it. And In fact, in fact, yes. shame on me, shame on me. But I just never got around to doing it because it slipped my mind. It's hard to believe it actually slipped my mind. But I actually went 200,000 miles on a set of spark plugs. What do you think of that? Two hundred. Now, normally, these new cars, you can go a hundred. In the old days, when I was street racing, I was switching plugs every weekend, practically. Then, then it was every, I don't know, six to ten thousand miles, or something like that, maybe twenty thousand miles, you know. And then, you know, then when the electronic ignition came out, I think it was something like twenty or thirty thousand miles. But I got two hundred on a set. I saved the spark plugs just for drill. Right. Wrote it, wrote it on the box.
2: So that's impressive You're going that far On a set of sparks
1: It is It is It is The only thing I have Wrong with it right now Is the valve cover gaskets Seals kind of leak a little bit And they got a little oil Kind of dripping But we'll get that taken care of But nonetheless Okay so here we go We got a great show For you tonight We got a very special guest Coming on Who's that? Uh, well, we'll surprise everybody. All right. Then. <laughs> but let me tell you what we did this weekend. Okay, so this was a really, really, really busy weekend. So Friday, Friday, I hauled butt over to Mecham's because Meekham's going on. Obviously, if you want to know where all the car shows going on in the state of Florida, check out flacarshows.com. Boom. That's a plug for those guys. Our good friends over there, Tara and everybody like that. She does a great job keeping that, that website going. Uh, Mecham is going through until the end of next weekend. Um, I went over there on Friday. I was going to go Saturday. But I didn't because Saturday morning I had to run to Tampa. I had to do something, look at some, uh, inspect a car or two or thing like that. Then in the evening, I went to, uh, drove all the way up to Brownwood uh, in the Villages. Now, why was it at Brownwood's car show, the Brownwood's car gathering car show in the Villages? Because on Wednesday, I was invited and special thanks to the uh, gang, the guys and gals, with the Vintage Racing Club of the Villages. I was invited to be a guest speaker. Now, if you go to our Facebook page, you will see me standing up on stage with my logo in the background, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And I talked about diminished value and appraisals a little bit. And then I kind of rambled a little bit, a little bit more. Then I rambled a little bit more. But anyway, then I talked about the radio show and some of the guests. So I had a great time. But then they informed me that there was a car show going taking place at the village, at the... Um, Brownwood now, every third Saturday of the month up at the villages, they have a car show at the Spanish springs um, square, and then they also have the uh, landings I forget what that was called something landings, and then they have the brownwood, which is right off forty four and what they did is they had four car club or seven car clubs show up there, so they had the uh, mini Cooper club the Corvette Club the uh, vintage racing club uh, the high ride club the early v8s and then they had the um, you know like I'm not early v 8s but just uh, uh, some pre-war cars um, Mazda club and of course the Porsche Club so I went up for that and uh, big shout out to my friend Craig and uh, Chris and uh, and Larry and 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 Jerry and uh, Everybody else was up there at the time, so it was pretty cool. And there, it's a pretty active group. I got to tell you, you know, in spite of the fact that you got golf carts running around everywhere, the villages, you know, they got some. There is a lot of really, really cool cars up there, and a lot of really cool guy cars. There was one gentleman up there by the name of Sam Patrick. He's from Michigan. I don't mind mentioning his name. I did an appraisal on his uh, shoebox. And uh, he's uh, he's in his mid to late seventies, and he's still banging gears. Well, I should say he's pushing an automatic button, ping, 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 and he's drag racing, and uh, he's having a great time doing it. So you know, your age is a state of mind. It is a state of mind. So Saturday, and it's just a number at that too. It's just a number of that. And then Saturday, excuse me, Sunday was the car uh, the swap meet at Sumter County at the. Uh, Fairgrounds so, as usual, I had to make my rounds there, so I did a bumping around. And I bumped into this gentleman that had a... I saw it when I was scrounging parts. And again, let me tell you this from experience. When you find something and you think it's a decent deal and you try to make a deal and you don't quite get it for what you want and you walk away, tough. Because I found something that I could have used and I was, you know, haggling. It was just kind of nature, you know, I haggle, you know. And then I said, ah, screw it. I'm going to go back and get them. When I, but I wasn't even gone more than 15 minutes and somebody else snagged them, so snagged these parts that I wanted. I won't mention what they were, but I could have used them. But I will tell you they fit a Ford. But nonetheless, so there was this guy there with this 1904 Cadillac. And now think about that, 1904. So we're talking 120-year-old car. All right. Pretty interesting old guy couple other old guys hanging out there. And, you know, when I was a kid and I was, you know, I was long hair and I had a 57 Thunderbird, which I still have, my friends. And uh, back in high school... And I was always hanging around the older guys, because the older guys knew stuff. That's how you learn stuff, hanging around the old guys. You know, they were teaching all this weird stuff. Think Everybody thinks, oh, this stuff's all brand new. It's all brand new. Pfft. Technology's been around for 100 years. Um, they already tried it already 100 years ago. They just refined it today. That's all they did. So anyway, we're, that's part of our discussion this evening. Then after that, we went to Mecham again. Then we buzzed over there, me and Hank and IG and everybody, my old butt, my, my, my posse, as I say, my posse. And uh, so we hung out there all afternoon. And uh, Friday, big shout-out to my friend Mark Twiner. He's in the old caddies. He was there. We were hanging out. And there was a number of people there that we saw, That uh, Danny from Golden Classics and uh, Bill and Pete from PJs. And, you know, it's just a, it's a family gathering type of thing. But a lot of the cars were doing pretty okay. Now, just my, my, my take on the market right now, just so far this week, from what I see, from what I hear, the market is leveling off. Let's call it a little bit of a correction. So the -the run-of-the-mill cars are probably off maybe 20%, maybe 20%, 25%. So, you know, you think about that. So that's basically a $25,000 car is now a $20,000 or $18,000 car. Eh, It might have been a little bit inflated. The point being is that, you know, it's cheaper to buy a car that's done and fix it when you go to an auction, you know that somebody's selling something because it probably is a used car, and you might have to do something, which is okay. You just got to check it out, you know. Buyer beware, as they say. But there's a lot of people that specifically build cars, and that's another issue, another debate for another day, just to slick them through there. And you're lucky if they roll out there when the lug nuts don't fall off them. And I got a story for that one, too, because, yeah, a friend of mine bought a car at the auction. It looked really, really good. He gets down the road, five miles down the road, and the wheels fall off. Why? Because they put uh, fancy-schmancy wheels on. The hub was too big. wasn't enough thread there for the wheels, the lug nuts, to kind of, you know, bite, so to speak. And only a few threads holding it on. Well, guess what? They vibrated off. And the wheel fell off, and he stuffed it in the wheel well, bent the fender, and um, messed up the inner wheel well, and just a whole host of stuff. You know, the backing plate got smashed because it fell down on the ground. And you got to buy everywhere. Okay, but there are some deals there. There are some buys. The really, really good, good, good cars, the rare stuff, like... And just the ones, the few that have gone through, have actually hit high numbers, some selling, and some the bid goes on. And, uh, so there are some opportunities there, obviously during the week and on, uh, you know, on a Sunday, a Monday, a Tuesday, you know, that's the best time to buy stuff. And, you know, when you got four or 5,000 cars there, I mean, it, it truly is just like John who was on our show last week. It really is a car show, you know, and, uh, if you got your wallet with you and you got a few extra bucks, it's a great place to buy something. But again, you got to look at what you got, what you're going to buy. Now it's all about numbers. If you get good numbers and you go through a good time slot, the car's going to bring all the money. That's if you're a seller. If you're a buyer, you want it to have a crappy time slot, be a really good car, and hopefully you can buy right. And even if it doesn't hammer on the block, you still have the opportunity to basically oh, negotiate, the bid goes on type deal. Anyway, all right, so having said that, that's Meekum. Okay, so on the 21st of this month, we got Festivals of Speed down at the Vinoy. All right, that's the uh, 20th anniversary of the Festival of Speed at the Vinoy at the location. So Google Festivals of Speed 21st, yours truly will be there. I'll be judging. On the 2nd of February, our good friends Bill Wyndham and his team will be in Naples doing the Sarasota, or excuse me, the Saratoga auction. Okay, and they're tied in with the Saratoga Automobile Museum. In upstate New York, Mass State, okay, that's north of Albany. My backyard, baby! Okay, you bet it. And it's, uh, uh, Saratoga is, if you probably, what was the song, Carol King? Horse Raises, Horse Something About Saratoga. And um, but it, and You're So Vain, that song. Anyway, you know, I should have played that. I forgot about that. Um, anyway, uh, they're... Just south of Lake Placid, there and they're having their auction. That's where they're based out of is New York, but they're doing one on uh, and on the second, and which is a Friday, in, in Naples, and then on Sunday the fifth, or let's see, third, second, third, fourth, fourth is cars on the fifth. That's how I get all these numbers mixed up. Cars on the fifth and in, in downtown Naples, and that's kind of like the Fifth Avenue in Naples is kind of like Rodeo Drive in L.A. And, uh, in Hollywood or wherever it is someplace over there in the lost planet in Los Angeles Maine. anyway um, so that's that and then uh, like I said I wanted a big shout out to our friends over there at the vintage racing club of the Villages and some of the other car clubs that are there
2: I, well Carly Simon did yours so vain but I think that Carole King's song you're thinking of is Race with the Devil
1: no, 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 no. It's your Sylvain. So yeah, that, it's was, that was Carly Simon, not Carol King. All right. I, I get it mixed up. That's no, anyway. okay. Anyway, so uh, what was I going to say? And then a uh, big shout out to our friends over there at Festival Speed. If you decide you want to take a really cool trip and drive a Porsche on the Autobahn and see the Porsche Fabrik in Deutschland, in Stuttgart, sogar, noch. Uh, Check out Fastlane Travel. And if you just want to take a really, really cool adventure and really cool trip, check out Fastlane Luxury Travel. They, in the old days, you know, you used to go to AAA or whatever, you go to your travel agency and you get your... Things booked Nowadays, a lot of people just go to the Internet. The problem with the Internet is you can't answer questions. And if you have an issue, it's all done through the Internet. It's, It's horrible. I'm just not into that. I like to have communication with people, and it's all about networking. And I want to talk to somebody. I want somebody on the other end of the line, just like when I do appraisals. Speaking of appraisals, speaking of diminished value, okay, besides the fact that I'm doing a small collection of cars, today I got one that came into my lap. I don't know if I'm going to get it or not, but I very well may. And Now, think about this. What if you went out and bought, you, you saved your pennies, and you special ordered a 2024 Corvette Z06. Your car finally comes in, spec'd out the way you want it, you pick it up at the dealership, you drive it from the dealership to your house, then the next day you decide to go out and take it for a little spin. You've got 96 miles on it, and somebody tags you in the rear. Oh. Ow. Yeah. Yeah. Tag. Now, keep in mind the car is fiberglass, so it doesn't take much of a whack to kind of do some damage to that particular car. But anyway, I will keep you in the loop. I'm not sure how this is going to go, but it's uh, you know fodder for discussion, as they say. And on that note, I think what we're going to do is I'm going to have Matt fire up the stereo. And then get our guests on the show. Well, the
2: stereo's cranking. What do we
1: got tonight? Uh, I think we're going to play something nostalgic out of 1960. Now, this song's been remade 100 million times, actually most notably by the Guess Who. But the original group was, is it Something Kid and the Pirates? Is Johnny,
2: that yeah, it's Johnny Kid and the Pirates. Johnny
1: Kid and the Pirates. And this is shaking All Over. You tune in to Nostalgic <laughs> Radio and Cars. Don't touch that dial. I'll be right back. You're tuning into Nostalgic Radium Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. My new bestest friend is a car collector, historian, and author, and he's got a number of books out. His most recent book is called The History of Main Built Automobiles. I'm delighted to welcome to Nostalgic Radium Cars this evening, Dick Frazier. Dick, how are you doing?
3: I'm doing great after all that
1: rain. After all that rain? Well, how much rain did we get up there in, in Bushnell, where you're at?
3: I don't know. I've been so busy.
1: Well anyway, all right. So Dick, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're from Maine and why is Maine? I
3: am. I grew up
1: yeah. Why is Maine abbreviated M E? Uh,
3: because it's the first and last letter
1: of the name. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. <laughs> I guess that works. <laughs> and Mass is M A, but Mass doesn't end in Massachusetts doesn't end in A. <laughs>
3: no. no. Don't, don't try to figure them people
1: out. Don't try to figure... That's politicians, all right. So anyway, let's talk about cars. How'd you get involved in it? What uh, what uh, got you uh, fired up about automobiles? Particularly well, my,
3: very, very my early cars. cars. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, he was disabled, so men would come visit and talk about the Model A and the Model T Fords and all the fun they had. And a little boy one day says, I want one of them. And... A few years later, I had one, and now
1: I've owned quite a few. Now you own quite a few. Okay, so uh, give us a little bit uh, background on yourself. I know you said you were in the military. You were in uh, Korea, of course, and then you were also in Vietnam yep. for a short period of time. Were you? Are you a? Uh, uh, was the military your career, or did you have another profession besides? No, you know? that, uh,
3: I worked in a leather tannery tanning cow hides.
1: Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Now I've never had anybody on the show that could really talk about. Uh, Leather, uh, leather. Well, uh, basically the upholstery, leather upholstery, or anything like that. So tell us a little bit about that. Was it was used for furniture. Was it used for automotive, or what? What? Uh, what was it done? Or what was it, was it used boot for? Boot leather. Boot leather.
3: Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, that makes sense too, because up your way there was a lot of uh, shoe companies. Yeah. Particularly, I that think in true. Connecticut, Connecticut, right? Yeah. When there was a lot of shoe yeah. manufacturers. Yeah.
3: Ma- Massachusetts had a lot of
1: them. Massachusetts as well. Okay. Yeah. All right. So now, when you when you first, how does this, How does the, tell us about how the process works. I'm curious. How do they, you know, when you think of leather, and obviously you think of hides, and how, obviously you think of colors. So, you know, back in the day, they, they used a lot of colors. There was greens, there was burgundies, there was tans, there was blacks. How did the, to, well, there's
3: great big spray booths.
1: Spray booths? Mm-hmm.
3: So they're yeah. not put
1: in a vat and dyed or anything like that? No.
3: Really? Mm-hmm. Well, Even- some are, but the ma- majority of shoe and boot leather was sprayed on finish, and then it was pressed with a high heat, uh, like an iron iron board. Yeah. Come down on it and pressed it, and it pressed the grain in. You've seen some leather shoe and, with a, like an alligator hide or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you, you just pressed it into it and we put three three to four coats of finish on it and sent it to the uh, shoe shop really and the, the spray booth was 10 feet wide and it had eight inch diameter bands going the whole length of this dryer spray booth and there's about an inch and a quarter apart and you laid it on there ran through the spray booth sprayed it went through the dryer come out the other end onto a stacker yeah
1: Interesting. Now, wait a minute. Now, tell me about this uh, alligator texture. So, it's not really alligator hides. It's just texture to look like that. And what about what a minute? What yep. about rattlesnake? And what about yep. ostrich yep. and all this other stuff? So, they really yep. aren't using ostrich hides or snake hides. you are using just regular hides and embossing them to make it look like it. And then you color it. Is that correct? Yes. Really? Yes, it's true. <laughs> So these guys walking around with these ostrich boots that they're paying you know ten times what they're worth, they're not real. Well,
3: some there is some of that also, but the oh, okay. majority of it is not.
1: Okay. So you did strictly leather hides, and is that what they use? Is that the term? The term tanning? Is that the term they yep, use for coming? it. That,
3: that, that's that's taking the raw hide and getting it so it won't rot and. Uh, go to pieces and like that so you have to finish it Yeah.
1: so how take us through that process okay so when the hides come in
3: they're ooh. rotten stinky <laughs> air on them what do they come from what do they pot. come
1: what kind of animals are they coming from beef beef cattle yeah
3: cattle yeah
1: okay so all right, they so.
3: stink like hell maggots are on them seriously oh yes so
1: then you've got to clean them and process them and then yeah. hang them out Fan to dry? Them
3: and, yeah.
1: And so the tanning process, tanning, the term tanning means process it so you can take it to the next level, which means color yes. it and cut it and so on. Yes. Interesting. So now let's say, let's talk about a leather upholstery in a 1904 Cadillac, okay? For example, you know, they, they probably had. Well, hadn't.
3: it's a whole different process.
1: Okay, how's that?
3: Uh, I, I don't know all the tanning processes, but there is a difference in the chemicals used for upholstery compared to shoe leather. Oh, really? The Inter- shoe leather is very stiff. Right. And upholstery has to be pliable, almost like a cloth. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole different canning process.
1: Now, when hides for upholstery... I was always told that they're dyed in vats. Is there any truth to that, or are you aware of that? Some,
3: some of them are.
1: Okay, so if they come in, and that's
3: more of a one of the different things about shoe and boot leather and upholstery that you spray it on the shoe and boot and dye it in vats. Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. Now, when when the hides come in, what color are they? Are they white or tan, or what color are they?
3: Kind of a tanish, yeah. You know, okay. Almost a white, yeah. You know, but when they're first tanned, you
1: know, yeah. Okay. And then when they're how big? How how big a surface? How big of area is a is a hide as a rule? Is half it, a,
3: half of the uh, half of animal.
1: Half the animal. So it could be like couple feet by a couple feet, three feet, four feet by... Th-
3: <laughs> no, 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 no. no, no. that? 12 feet long, 10, 12 feet long.
1: <laughs> oh, really? It is that long? 10, 12 feet long? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, no, I, I, you know, forgive my my. my I'm, no, my inquisitive. you can't all know it all. No, I don't, I don't. I'm, I'm, you know. All right, so now, so you were, so did, was it your business or you worked your way up to a management level or how did that work?
3: No, I stayed in the hourly wage all the time. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was enough for me.
1: That was enough for you? And then you did that for a short period of time, and then what, is that when you went into only, the
3: middle? Only 18 years.
1: 18 years? Yeah. Okay, well, you're a young 70-year-old here, kind of like, so what'd you do the rest of the time?
3: I worked in a bottling plant, drove truck for a number of years, got hurt on the job, and that kind of ended my uh, working career.
1: I see. So then, and then you were in the military, you were a young, uh, a young feisty kind of guy back then, and so you went over there to... to
3: No, no, they they wrote me a letter and said, you report.
1: Oh, that's how that was. Is that called drafting?
3: That's a draft.
1: That's a draft, (laughs) okay. (laughs) So they said, hey... It
3: was not my happy place.
1: That was not your happy place. Okay, were you uh, stationed overseas? Did you get to see any frontline battle or action, or or were you... Yeah, we
3: saw enough of the action... In Vietnam, but out of the six months I was in each country, we lost more to live combat in Korea in a cold war than we did in the, uh, Vietnam. Really, more well, than live combat.
1: Hmm. So the TV show *MASH* is like a far departure from what the Korean War really was, right? Yes. Well, interestingly enough, when I was in college, uh, we did a play once, and it was M.A.S.H., and the character of all things that I played was Radar O'Reilly. So... (laughs) um, Anyway, I had to kind of brush up on that, and then that's when I started watching the TV show, which I got a kick out of.
2: And I can see it just by looking at you, I can see it.
1: You can see me? Radar I can, Riley? Yes, I had sir. To, I had to wear glasses. <laughs> I actually still have my glasses. I still have my jacket that I wore, my fatigues, if you will, and and my cap. So i am kind of, you know. Of course,
3: know. when I was over there, as well after the law. Right. It, you know, I was over in uh, Korea in '67. Oh.
1: Yeah, So, all right. All right. So then you were, whoa, 67. So then you were in Vietnam also, 67, 68, during the Tet Offensive?
3: No, I was there before Korea.
1: Oh, okay.
3: Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk.
1: Go ahead. I'm sorry.
3: I served six months in Nam, then six months in Korea.
1: Okay. That's plenty.
3: That was too much.
1: Too much. I'm sure you got some stories, but we'll save that for another day. We're here to talk about cars. So let's, talk about, let's talk about 1908 Cadillacs, because when I was diddy bopping through the swap meet yesterday, or the day before, that's when you and I kind of met and we kind of talked a little bit. So uh, tell us a little bit about that 1904 Cadillac, and then let's get into your book.
3: Well, the, the four caddy I purchased out of uh, Ohio, uh, and
0: uh,
3: I bought it home. had to make a radiator for it, rebuilt the oiler. Rebuilt the water pump, applied electricity and gas to it and started right up. The car had been put in storage in nineteen twenty five.
1: Nineteen twenty five?
3: So it that was car put was... in storage. Jeez. And when did you yeah. pick that car up? Ninety six, I think it was.
1: Whoa. That's yeah. uh almost uh well yeah, that's like sixty some odd years. Well so...
3: go out here today and pick out a second-hand car off a lot and stick it away for that number of years and see if it will start at the end of that time.
1: Good point. Good point. Okay, so how many cylinders does that Cadillac have?
3: It's a single cylinder with a five-inch bore and a five-inch stroke.
1: Single, okay. Now, there's a connection between Cadillac, Leyland, and Henry Ford. Do you want to fill our listeners in on that?
3: Well, Henry Ford worked For the Detroit Detroit Automobile Company, and they parted ways in 1902. And in 1903, the Cadillac Company was formed. And in 1903, the Ford Motor Company was formed as we know it today.
1: Okay. It was, yeah. So, but there was a connection with Ford and Leland, and he's the, and where did the name Cadillac originate?
3: Well, that was from the, uh, uh, Explorer. Exactly. Yeah. And, and no, to my knowledge, Leland and Ford had no communication at all, a connection.
1: Well, I thought they w- that Leland was one of the uh, financiers. Somehow, he was tied in with Ford Motor. You know, because Ford tried a couple times before he fin- Ford Motor Company finally happened. Oh, yeah,
3: that was the Detroit Automobile Company. It was his one of his tries? Right. And the backers didn't like his idea. He wanted to make a car for the public. And they wanted to make an expensive car. And so that's where he padded ways. All right. So now, now Henry Leland. Right. From the. Well, he come on Cadillac after they went to him. Okay. He came to him and wanted an engine. One of his designers, Mr. Brush, had an engine. Transmission and steering column that he'd patented, and Leland made those and sold them to Cadillac. Okay. It's like the uh, wheels of my Cadillac are Imperial, and the body is Wilson. So all those parts are put together to make a Cadillac.
1: Let's go back a few years before that. Let's go back to nineteen. No, let's go back to eighteen thirty-four. Your book. Um, history of Maine built automobiles and it's eighteen thirty four to nineteen thirty-four. So take us to eight take us back in your little in your little time machine back to eighteen
3: thirty-four. A college student at Bowdoin College came up with the idea of doing something in a steam engine. And he went traveled around to Portland and Boston, got some help and he created an engine a steam engine it it is still in existence today in Bowdoin college in Brunswick, maine and it the only thing is it's it's basically a model uh to show the principle of self propelled vehicle you cannot ride on it uh it, they headed out running a few years ago around the parking lot, but you know it just—it's a, it's a experimental piece if they could try prove that it would run and do the what they needed it to do. Okay, so then but when- it's still in existence, and I needed something to go from a one point to another. So that's not a car I would agree with, but the principle of it should be included somewhere and not forgotten. Okay. So that's why that's included. Okay. Uh, The 1934 uh, is a little out of my interest level, but that rounded out to 100 years for the book. Okay. And that car was still in existence just a few years ago. I don't know what happened to it, but it was outside of a barn up in Ellsworth, Maine.
1: The... All right, so we got 1834, 1835, 1830, uh, you know, and then in the, the 1850s, 1860s, 1870s. When did, and there was this little story, this thing that you said, that Henry Ford saw a vehicle that impressed him something like what? Eight or nine years before he even came up with his own automobile? What was that that inspired yes. him?
3: Uh, the King.
1: King. That was the yeah. name of the vehicle?
3: Yep, Mr. King, I don't remember his first name right now. Uh, that's the. He, Henry Ford saw the vehicle, and that sparked the interest uh, in enough of it to get going on it. Uh, uh, but, you know, like we spoke the other day, there was an issue license in Maine six years before he saw his first vehicle. You, you know, it just, the history is so buried in this life. Uh, because we're supposed to know that Henry Ford invented the automobile. Well, it wasn't quite that way.
1: <laughs> okay, that's why you're here tonight. You're here to set the to set the record straight. You tell us who invented the automobile.
3: When we figure that out exactly, we'll let you know.
1: <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, but, but there w- it was
3: Ben's, probably, uh, and like that for the Mercedes Benz history part of it. You right. was probably one that. Came up with the first self-propelled vehicle uh, in the United States. The first gasoline-powered vehicle that went into production was the Duryea in Massachusetts.
1: Right, the Duryea, exactly. Mm-hmm.
3: But you know, there was steam and electricity before Duryea did his gas job. Now, was Duryea was
1: he 1888 or was he 1898? 93. 93. Okay, I was off by 5 years. All right. So now one of the things one that I wanted to talk about is share some stuff about the cars. We're talking about the history of main built automobiles and and I think I mentioned to you that I you know, I did an appraisal on a 19 on a recreation of a 1935 uh, 1905, 1904, 1905 Thomas Flyer. So and that took me into researching this a little bit about how many cars how the automobile industry actually started in, in a way, upstate New York and New England. So we're talking specifically Massachusetts. Don't, don't,
3: don't go too, too, don't go too far in New York. It was Massachusetts, Maine, and Connecticut.
1: Okay, Massachusetts, Maine, and Connecticut. Okay, very good. So now tell us a little bit about that. Some of those cars.
3: Well, there's thousands of them. That's the thing of it. Uh, I mean, in my book, is 274 makes just in Maine. And I've added uh, four since I want to press on that second edition, so it just keeps coming.
1: How do you come about? Is it so? What? What? What uh, kind of? What's the word I'm looking for? Keeps this thing going. So in other words, you 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 find one, and then somebody sends you another story about another car, and then you find, and mm-hmm. and, and very often it's only what three or four cars that were ever built, but but there's individual. Some,
3: some was just pipe dreams.
1: Some were just pipe dreams.
3: Yeah, and others were built. One They made one, three, 13, or whatever. But, uh, you know, it, it just keeps going. You find one, and you get a reference to somebody before it. So it just keeps going backwards, forward. Uh, you know, I use automobile registration lists that gives the license plate number, the name, address, make of automobile, oh. and so forth. So when I find one that says South Made then I research that man and his car. Okay. Then you go into, and if that isn't enough, you go to local historical societies and museums, and then you go to the magazines like uh, Huss's Age. Back at the turn of the century, there was 18 magazines that you could buy in relationship to automobiles. And the uh, Huss's Age started in 1890. 96, 96, I guess it was. Wow. 95 and 96. I mean, they're publishing magazines in this country about people doing things.
1: Fascinating. So would you say those magazines are kind of like, I'll just say, the popular mechanics magazines of the 60s and 70s? So that's what they had back then. Interesting. So it wasn't just automotive stuff. It would have been industrial-oriented inventions and topics,
3: correct? No, no, Those magazines was eight kingdom. They was strictly horseless carriage.
1: Oh, strictly horseless carriage. Okay, so strictly automobiles. Interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the other things you were talking about a little bit is you were talking about hybrids, and now, mm-hmm. and one of the things I want you to, to 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 share with our listeners is, you and I both had this discussion. Everybody thinks, oh, this is brand new technology. This is you know something that they just came up with. Your comment was. Uh Uh-uh. This stuff was developed 100 years ago. They tried all this stuff. The only thing we have today is technology makes it a little cheaper and a little quicker to make. And
3: given applications, the speed has increased. Uh, Maybe the workmanship has in some cases. Uh, The workmanship was pretty good years ago. It really was. You know, you, you saw the Cadillac, you saw the workmanship of just that car alone. Yeah,
1: it was a beautiful. A nice original survivor <laughs> car, and everything fit right.
3: Right. Yeah. So. But this gas and electric, uh, I've got one back to 1898, 99, uh, and in front of me I've got literature on a 1905, a gasolick is what they called it.
1: Gasolick. So we're talking hybrids now, correct? Yeah. Okay, go ahead
3: now this particular vehicle was licensed we have the license plate number was it uh, uh, owned it where he lived? the horsepower everything we, we you, you need to come over and uh <laughs> look over some of this yes there's over five feet of paper in this new research five feet
1: five feet yeah Wow, okay, so tell us a little bit about the give us an example of how this vehicle was built and powered and and the, uh, the, 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 the process in which it it functioned. Tell us a little bit about one that you have.
3: Well, th- this particular one here had an electric engine, electric motor right. underneath the front seat and an internal combustion engine under the hood. And it was directed connected to a drive shaft back to the rear axle.
1: Now, did the battery was the ba- battery somehow able to be charged while the vehicle was moving back then or was it did it have an alternator? Did, how did it, how, how was the how how did the battery how did the electric yeah. motor, Okay, how did the That's battery stay charged? The,
3: the gas engine. Okay. When it came to time to charge it, you just went to gas. Switched right directly to gas.
1: Okay. So it was a mechanical, we're running on electric or we're running on gas. And then when I'm running on gas, I have, you had an alternator, basically, or mm-hmm. a generator of some kind. Generator. And that mm-hmm. charged the battery. And then mm-hmm. you were able to run on the electric motor again. How, mm-hmm. what was the range on electric motor back in those days? Not much. Not much. <laughs> so.
3: They, most people was trying to brag they could get 50 miles on a charge.
1: Okay. Mhm. What were the roads like back then? So, in other words, if you had this hybrid vehicle, and obviously we had no highways and byways, but we had roads that were basically carriage roads, horseless carriage. I mean, horse carriage buggy yes. kind of. Okay.
3: In a lot of them in the back country. Yeah. It had a great big ridge in the top of, in the middle, and you just had two ruts that you drove in.
1: Okay. And now, was there like a, what if you had vehicles going opposite direction? Was there a rut going one direction, and eastbound, northbound, uh, eastbound, westbound? Most of
3: it had turnouts.
1: Turnouts. Oh, okay, that was interesting. So if another vehicle was coming by, you had to pull over and wait? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what was this you were telling me about the vehicles and the width of the carriages based on the width of the ruts and how the cars were made as far as, the standard size and width of a vehicle. We're talking about that a little bit because you were using that as an example
3: earlier. Well, the average is 56 inches, even back then. Uh But down in the southern country, like down here in Florida and Georgia and Alabama and so forth, their wagons was a 60-inch tread. So they couldn't... They was having trouble selling antique cars down here with a 56-inch tread because they wouldn't go in the ruts. One was in the rut and one was on the... Bank, you know, the high point in the center of the road. Right. So Ford went and made a wide track, which is 60 inches.
1: Okay. Interesting. Now, did any of the other manufacturers do that as well, or was Ford the only one that was... Uh...
3: No, others did it too.
1: Okay. Huh? All right. Now, how many manufacturers um, built hybrids back in the day? I mean, did any of the well-known manufacturers do that, or were these just basically... No. Uh, guys, you know...
3: People experimenting, they they wanted to make something better than everybody else. Uh Uh-huh. And one of them was General Electric in West Lynn, Massachusetts, and all they did was experiment. They did not produce for sale a vehicle, but they made automobiles of all these different uh, systems and mechanical designs and like that. And they had two professors on duty full time at the university, at this GE, and that's, I've got, oh, probably 100, 150 patents on these two men that was there at GE. Interesting. Yeah. But they made some vehicles, and we got pictures of them and like that, and one was a hybrid.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, did did they share that technology with anybody, or did they basically just keep it in house and that was it and they're just trying to keep it off the market, so to speak, or they didn't put a lot of faith in it?
3: That is the section I have not found. Okay. That's, you know, I'm, I'm looking for that end of it, but I haven't got to that end.
1: How about steam engines? Have you, or steam powered vehicles? Have you had any experience with steam powered vehicles?
3: Yes, I drive them.
1: You drive them? Yeah. Okay, so tell us a little bit uh, about steam-powered vehicles and your thoughts on steam-powered vehicles.
3: Well, uh, it's simple. Anybody can light a match and keep water in the boiler. You know, the biggest thing most people with steam cars, they run the boiler dry. And that's like buying a new engine.
1: Okay, so you always hear about how dangerous they are. I mean, Jay Leno even talks about it. No, not true?
3: They're not as dangerous as much as people say.
1: So there's no risk of explosion anywhere?
3: More of a risk of a fire than an explosion. Okay. There's too many other things would fail before the explosion.
1: Okay. So when you say steam, I'm under the impression that a steam engine is under pressure. Therefore, it is acceptable to... A possible explosion, but you're saying yeah. other things would happen before something explodes. Yeah. yeah. And all right, so if there was a fire, and uh, basically a boiler or a, a steam engine, is it powered by water or is it powered by gasoline? I mean, what is well, ex- A
3: gasoline burner underneath. Okay. You got a boiler and burner, 14 inches in diameter, or 24 inches in diameter. You get this gas fire underneath the boiler.
1: Right.
3: Heating that water, creating the steam in the boiler. Right. And then you open the valve and let the steam into the steam engine, and the steam pushes the pistons, and they turn the connecting rod and the chain or drive shaft or whatever, and the rear wheels turn.
1: Okay. How
3: many. There's no transmission in a steam car.
1: There's no transmission? No. Okay, so it's basically one to one right out of the box.
3: Right out
1: of the box. Okay. Now, how many cylinders is a steam engine or a steam-powered vehicle? Did it vary? Yes. Okay, so, so the average... The
3: majority aver- was two.
1: Two cylinders. Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: You can move and I'll show you one.
1: I'm going to do that. I'm going to take you up on that uh, seriously. So the let's just say back in the old days was... Uh, Let's say the gasoline-powered vehicles. Was there? What was the gas like? Was it high octane, low octane? Were engines high compression? Very low. Were-
3: you, you had to, a lot of people took a gauge with them. I can't remember what it's called, and they checked the gas to see how good it was before they bought it. Uh huh. Yeah. Because it was awful.
1: Oh really? The mm-hmm. the process. Okay. How about diesel? Did diesel exist back then? Yes, it did. Okay, because Robert. Diesel, I guess, was his name, and he invented the diesel. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in Europe first, mm-hmm. and then they came mm-hmm. over here. So, mm-hmm. do you have any experience with diesel engines? No. No.
3: No, not at all. Other than in the research.
1: Okay. Yeah. Was a diesel just basically run off kerosene? Is that kind of how a diesel engine? Yeah. Okay. Mhm. Um, what other form? Well, we got a couple, a minute or two. What other forms of propulsion were there?
3: I have a. One is listed as liquid, air, power, and I don't understand it yet.
1: Wow. Dick, we're...
3: It's listed as liquid, air, power, and automobile company.
1: Okay. Interesting. Dick, we are up against the clock. If people want to find out more about your book, how do they go about getting your book?
3: Uh, Well, you'd have to give them my address.
1: <laughs> well, no, can they buy it on Amazon? Can they go to, off the internet? Yes. And buy, okay. Uh,
3: Seal Cove Auto Museum, by, uh, Seal Cove, Maine, and also Owlshead Transportation Museum in Owlshead, Maine. Okay. Them. Yeah.
1: Okay, very good. Now, Dick, I want to thank you very much for hanging out. What I'm going to do, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to come over to your place, and you're going to give me a walkthrough and an education. And then, a couple months down the road, I'm going to bring you back on the show. When I'm educated, and we'll have a discussion, we'll continue this discussion about some of these early, early turn-of-the-century cars, because this totally fascinates me, because I know nothing about it, and I'm impressed.
3: What I've got here just on Massachusetts, and... You probably need to take one of my books home with you to read the book at your convenience, but we, we sit down here and look at this Massachusetts uh, research material I've got here, and it'll blow your mind.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to it.
3: De- and my oldest one in Massachusetts is 1790.
1: 1790? Mm-hmm. 1790? Wow. Yep. Wow.
3: 1790.
1: That's uh, that's a few hundred years ago. A little bit more than that. Well, Dick, it was a, certainly a treat to have you on the radio show. I'm, I'm thrilled. Uh, this is fascinating. I've, I I truly have an interest in this. Um, every once in a while when I talk Jay Leno on the side, you know, we talk about turn-of-the-century cars because he's totally fascinated with it as well. And I look forward to having you. I look forward to visiting your your stable of really cool cars, and having you back on our show. So, uh, again, I want to thank you very much for uh, hanging out with us here at
3: Nostalgic Radio and Cars. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the subject very much.
1: All right. Well, Dick, you have a great evening, and uh, say hello to your wife, Nancy. I will. I'll see you uh, soon.
3: Okay.
1: All right. Take care. I want, to, I want to thank my special guest this evening, Dick Fraser. Remember, check out his book, History of Maine Built Automobiles. Okay, obviously you can get it on Amazon, I'm sure, or some of those, some of the book places and the museums that he referenced uh, up in Maine. And uh, I I think he's just a fascinating gentleman. And you know, if you're in the cars, you really need to know all about all these cars. That's kind of important. You know, we need to know where these things, how they originated, because it's kind of it's fascinating. Today technology, man, yeah, it's exponential, but to understand the or the the or the infancy of the automobile is is pretty cool in turn of the turn of the industrial age. Ever. Anyway, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to the Studebaker New Cars. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday between seven and eight p.m. on the Ten Talk Radio Network. I want to see you guys at some of the car shows. I want to see you at the Saratoga auction. I want to see you at festivals of speed. I want you to see you at Mika In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.